Uh, so today we're going to go on and offer the beginnings of the loving-kindness practice as its own technique. Um, the the basics of mindfulness, which we've been doing for the last day, are resting one's attention on <clears throat> what we call a primary object. Primary object is like home base. It's not ever meant to be our exclusive object, but it's the place we begin. It's where we gather our attention back to. It's where we uh, rest our minds. And so in mindfulness practice, very often that is served by the feeling of the breath, and that's what we've been doing. We have the primary object. Sometimes we're taken away. We recognize what has distracted us or taken our attention. We gently let go. No judgment, no rancor, no ill will, no seeking to punish oneself. Just gently letting go, bringing the attention back. And this is a practice that uh, throughout these days you can keep returning to. You don't have to feel, oh no, I'm, you know, I've switched to loving kindness. I can't feel the breath or... Um, especially because loving-kindness practice is much more active in many ways, where uh, using the silent repetition of certain phrases, there may be times when you're just tired of those phrases or they feel like a kind of pounding insistence in your head or you feel agitated um, and unsettled in some way. It's the perfect time. Just go back to feeling the breath, you know, and uh, come back to some kind of balance and then when you move to go back, pick up the phrases again. So it's a, it's a tool that's available to you um, throughout. The gathering in loving-kindness practice, which is considered a concentration practice, is not around the feeling of the breath, but around the silent repetition of these phrases. The phrases are the expressions of the heart, to connect rather than separate, to include rather than exclude. The exact phrases we use don't matter that much. They're the conduit for our attention, intention, energy, care. And the balance that we work with in loving-kindness practice, <clears throat> well, there are many balances, but we have sort of an unfolding or a structure that we use so that we don't need to continually think. You know, for example, if you were making up a new phrase for every person you're offering loving kindness to, there would be probably a lot of thinking. You know, like, may you be happy, but not so happy, because you get kind of lazy when you're really happy. You know, may you be moderately happy, but may you be really happy, because, you know, so we would lose some of the power, a lot of the power and intensity of the concentration. So we keep things pretty simple. But that doesn't mean you need to be imprisoned in that simplicity. Like, oh no, you know, a slight variation on the phrase came up for this person, I can't use it. You know, it's not like that. There's, there's a certain freedom and creativity too. But <clears throat> through your own awareness and sensitivity, um, you need to be in touch with uh, how concentrated things are or how kind of agitated or involved in a story you're getting, you know, in which case it's better to come back to the simplicity. So in the simplicity of loving-kindness practice, we basically choose three or four phrases, and that is the centering point for our attention. In many ways, the skill set is the same, you know, it's not too many phrases before you're gone, most likely. You know, it's not two hours later, most likely. <laughs> you know, it's like a couple of phrases and then you're way gone. But again, the moment when you realize you've been distracted is like the critical moment because that's the, the moment where we can actually have a kind of active loving kindness 
to let go wherever you've gone. doesn't matter. Let go. See if you can bring your attention back to the phrases and just begin again. If what's come up is like much too strong, then maybe uh, you need to be with it for a little while in that way of mindfulness, you know, recognizing it, being okay with it. And then when you can, gently let go and come back to the phrases. But that's really what we're doing is, is that gathering, um, that centering of our, our hearts around these phrases. And as you know, many of you know quite well, uh, traditionally the metta practice unfolds. And so we begin with offering loving kindness to ourselves and a benefactor. Um, and over time, you know, uh, over the days of this retreat, we'll also add a friend and a neutral person and someone we find difficult and uh, end with the kind of extension of loving kindness to all beings everywhere, all of life without exception. Um, so it's a, it's a progression in, in a certain way which will, will guide you through. Here too, you know, we suggest like um, by and large like today we will offer loving kindness to ourselves and the benefactor. A benefactor is someone who has helped us or uh, you know, picked us up when we've been down, or maybe we've never met them. Maybe they're just someone who's inspired us. <laughs> the Buddhist texts say, this is the one whom when we think of them, we smile. Um, could be an adult, could be a child, could be a pet even, you know, um, this isn't limited to people, but there's something uh, that happens within our hearts when we think of this person, if someone comes to mind like that. Um, If nobody comes to mind, don't despair, you know, Uh, you can just continue offering loving kindness to yourself. Um, And don't be surprised if this benefactor uh, that you've chosen is not perfect. You know, uh, life is very complicated and relationships are very complicated. We can't always slot somebody into a nice little slot. But to have some sense of um, that kind of quickening in your heart, that, that joy at this person uh, and their their effect... Something like that, you know, would be enough. So in any moment of this practice, we may be most, our attention may be resting most strongly on the phrase that we're using. It may be on the sense of the recipient of the metta, or it may be whatever feeling does arise, you know, in the extension of our awareness and care to this person. I think really the bottom line uh, for most people, generally speaking, is the phrase. The feeling comes and goes, you know, and I personally have done, I don't know how many hours, let's say countless hours of loving kindness practice feeling nothing and thinking nothing was happening, only for me to look back at that time later on or look at the effect of my life and say, ooh, something was happening. What do you know? But it was happening without the sort of emotion uh, that I thought should be there. So, you know, I say to you um, with tremendous confidence that uh, you don't have to be evaluating what you're feeling. You know, maybe it's kind of flat. Maybe it's full of joy. Maybe there's a lot of sorrow that comes up. You know, and all that is is a natural part of the practice. And what we're really focusing on is that gathering, that wholeness of our being behind one phrase at a time. Traditionally, uh, beginning with ourselves, we'll use four phrases, and at some point we'll post those on the board. Um, You don't have to use these exact phrases. The idea is that they're general enough or they're big enough So it's something we can be offering to ourselves and also offering to others. So you don't want it to be, you know, may I get in a nap after lunch because, you know, that would help my meditation. Uh, Because what happens when you offer that? 
you know, to your benefactor um, or to all beings. Well, that might be a kind of good thing. <laughs> I don't know, for all beings. <laughs> anyway, so the traditional phrases are something like, may I live in safety or may I be safe? May I be happy, and this usually refers to mental happiness, you know, joy, peace. May I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, which means physical happiness. It doesn't mean, um, you know, may I be free of all illness forevermore. Uh, but it's it's almost like a kind of um, blessing state toward ourselves. You know, it's an extension um, of that well-wishing and then the fourth, may I live with ease, or may um, I have ease of being, means in the things of day-to-day life, may it not be such a struggle, may it not be such a torment, you know, livelihood, family, relationships. May I live with ease. May I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. It's good if the phrases um, mean something to you, you know, so you don't feel a sense of struggle with that. So you can use these phrases or anything that really um, will allow you to extend that sense of care to yourself and to others. But just three or four phrases. Um, some people. Uh, don't like that way of phrasing it, may I or may you. Um, it sounds like imploring or begging or beseeching. And uh, My friend, uh, Sylvia Borstein, um, had a great way of uh, describing that. She said, it is a part of speech, I don't remember which part, but she said it's like you hand someone a birthday card and you say, may you have a happy birthday. You know, it, it's really just the conduit for your um, coming forward in that in that well wishing, uh, but here too you can you can work with you know just how how you phrase it. So may I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. We repeat the phrases with enough space and enough silence so that it's pleasing to us. This is like the song of the heart, and I'll guide you through. Um, this first sitting as we uh, do that extension to ourselves, to a benefactor. Um, And remember, the skill set is the same. Wherever you find your mind has drifted, just gently let go and begin again. Okay? So let's sit together. Say the first thing the Buddha said about loving-kindness practice was sit comfortably. It means be at ease. Physically sit comfortably. Emotionally sit comfortably. This isn't a practice where you're straining or trying to manufacture something that isn't there. Let your attention settle. See what phrases come to mind that are meaningful to you for yourself, like, may I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. This is the gathering point for us. Completely, fully attentive, one phrase at a time. May I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease.
and call to mind a benefactor. If there is someone who comes to mind, someone who has helped you or been kind to you, been generous to you, or perhaps you've never met them but they've inspired you, the one whom when you think of them you smile. If there's someone like that that comes to mind, you can bring them here, get an image of them, say their name to yourself perhaps, get a feeling for their presence and offer the phrases of loving kindness to them. May you be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease whatever phrases you may have been using for yourself.
And then for the last few minutes of the sitting, you can offer loving kindness to everyone here, which involves quite a number of different kinds of relationships, those whom we know quite well, those whom we don't know at all, and ourselves. May we be safe. Be happy. Be healthy. Live with ease. So this is the the basic foundation of the loving-kindness practice. We silently repeat certain phrases, beginning with ourselves, and then we'll move through various um, categories of beings. The first, other than ourselves, is somebody um, for whom we feel some kind of gratitude or, or delight. Um, or joy, something like that. 
And then, as I said, each day we'll continue to unfold the practice so that we're including and including and including more uh, kinds of beings, kinds of relationships into into that field of loving kindness. And I just want to emphasize again that this isn't a process of trying to manufacture or fabricate a certain kind of feeling. Um, somebody once said to me that he absolutely detested loving-kindness practice because it reminded him of a continually enforced Valentine's Day, you know, which, of course, is coming up and <laughs> we get to celebrate. Um, but that sense of like, okay, now on the count of three, you will be filled with love, you know. Um, it's not a coercive process. And as we use the word loving-kindness, I'm not sure it's a feeling anyway. It's more a sensibility. It's a whole vision of who we are and about connection and, um, you know, it's, it's uh, much more uh, what we would call a view, you know, which doesn't mean an intellectual view, but it's like a whole orientation toward life, toward ourself and others and what that means, you know, where is the other and so on. So there's nothing artificial about it. Um, we're not trying to create a, a sentiment um, because it's not, it's not like that anyway. One of the reasons the word metta is so difficult to translate is because, um, well, first, loving kindness is a, you know, is a perfectly fine translation, but it, it's not necessarily a word that is in very common usage in just casual conversation. And so uh, my concern is that it makes the quality itself seem somewhat arcane and removed from day-to-day life, which it's not. And to translate it as love, to translate metta as love, is, is very complex because we do use that word, that idea of love, in so many different ways. Um, sometimes it really is, you know, frankly, like a medium of exchange. I will love you as long as you know, you love me in return and you say so in this particular way. And um, what one of my friends once called meta with an edge, you know, like get happy, will you, by tonight. Um, I've got a plan, something like that. You know, it's not meant to be that, of course. Um, And sometimes when we use the word love, it is in that sort of um, somewhat phony, artificial, sentimental way, uh, you know, where we can't look at the difficulty so easily or the the pain or the conflict, and it's not meant to be that either. Um, There's a lot of intelligence in in metta and a lot of uh, real aliveness, you know, it's not a kind of canned or pat quality. Um, And so uh, this is sort of the terrain that we explore as we do the practice. But the technique we use is is that very um, kind of fundamental and rather simple one. It will bring up a lot, but the technique itself uh, doesn't need to get hugely elaborate. You know, we aim our attention toward one phrase at a time. We're there as completely as we can be. We don't have to manufacture anything. Our minds go far, 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 far away. We realize that. Gently let go. Just start again. Okay, so I'll just say a, a couple more things. Do some walking instruction um, for loving kindness. Uh, I just wanted to say, just in general, that in terms of the retreat experience, um, the first few days overall tend to be the most difficult because it's a big adjustment for everybody just to be here, to slow down, to be silent. Um, It's a pretty different life, you know, for most people. And it doesn't matter if you're completely brand new to meditation or you've been practicing for 35 years. It's an adjustment. And while you never know what will arise and there can be challenges all along the way, particularly in terms of sleepiness and restlessness, which I'll talk much more about tonight. Um, The first couple of days, it's so pronounced. You know, sometimes 
Um, I feel like when I myself am on a retreat, like right at the beginning, it's it's like I hear these two voices inside of my mind. One voice says, oh, there's nothing happening here. It must be time to go to sleep. You know, it doesn't matter if I just slept for 15 hours. I sit down, I conk out. And the other voice says, there's nothing happening here. Let's make something happen. It's just this huge torrent of planning and creativity, and I'm going to write this, I'm going to do that, you know. And, and while, you know, those things are not unknown all along the way, just the kind of wild careening from sleepiness to restlessness and sleepiness to restlessness is most pronounced, generally speaking, you know, right at the beginning. And over time, it's like our whole system will just adjust to the relative lack of sensory stimulation, to the quiet, and so on. And things get better in that way. So the careening, you know, from sleepiness to restlessness to sleepiness is actually not a problem. What is more of a problem is believing the thought that arises in our minds, like, oh no, seven days, exactly like this sleepy sitting. It's never going to change. You know, buying into that thought is a problem because then we have created a future as though we knew. You know, and we're holding it as some kind of rock-solid reality when we actually don't know. And it's everything changes anyway, you know. So that's more the problem is the projection into the future and uh, building upon what is a somewhat challenging experience right now. Um and creating forever out of it. So to be aware of those tendencies is, is of course, a tremendous asset anyway in life, you know, Uh, and to be more and more aware um, of the thoughts that pull us away and that create a seeming reality for us, and just to be able to come back, okay, this is what's happening right now, Um, is, is a tremendous skill. So we do loving-kindness practice in sitting, and we will um, add different, you could say, categories or um, different kinds of relationships as we go along. For today, if you could uh, pretty much focus on the offering of loving-kindness to yourself and to the benefactor, there's no formula you know, for how much time you spend uh, in any particular sitting. Um, but I think it's good to, you know, kind of feel that out for for yourself. In walking practice, um, just as there are many, many ways of doing uh, mindful walking, there are many ways of doing loving kindness while walking. And I'd like to offer you my favorite. Uh, first of all, in walking meditation, in loving kindness, you don't need to slow down. You can if you want, but um, you can feel perfectly free to just move at a normal pace. If you're inside, um, just, you know, given the space, it will involve walking back and forth. If you're outside and it's getting warmer, um, relatively speaking, uh, so it's great if you can get outside. Um, You know, you have a kind of longer... um, distance in which you can do the walking. Um, And what I like to do in loving-kindness walking is, uh, in in loving-kindness walking in general, we're not trying uh, to focus so much on the sensations of the movement, but here, once again, we have the silent repetition of certain phrases, um, which is like our touchstone. So... Uh, this involves what I call a kind of light awareness, you know, because you need to be aware of everything going on around you. And yet, there's a, a part of your attention that is just resting on the repetition of these phrases. And the way I like to do it is to basically center the phrases for myself. So as I'm walking, um, the phrases are things like, may I be happy may I be peaceful, or may I be safe, may I be happy. You can use the same phrases that you use in the sitting. You can uh, time the phrases to the pace of your walking or not. It's really up to you. But that's the resting place for the mind. 
is phrases toward oneself. And then when someone comes strongly into consciousness, see a person going by, you hear a bird, you hear a dog, see a bug, whatever it might be, just quickly, relatively quickly, include them. Oh, be happy. And then return your attention to the, the repetition of the phrases for yourself. The reason I like to do it that way, amongst the many, many ways, you know, and varieties of techniques available for doing walking, um, is partly because it's fun. You know, like you never know. Like maybe you don't like dogs much, you know, and there's a dog. Oh, be happy. <laughs> you know, so you just don't know um, who's going to be the being, you know, that comes into your consciousness. And also... Um, the centering of the phrases on loving kindness for yourself will give your mind an anchor because there's a lot of life out there, you know, and you don't want to get agitated. Like, I'll be happy, be happy, be happy, you too, you know, and it's just like, it's way too much. So here again, you see the same kind of balance. Uh, We need a structure in order to go deeper in concentration to keep things simple. But you also don't, want to feel locked into the structure, you know, that you've done something wrong if you go beyond it. So we have that steadiness coming from offering the phrases to ourselves. And then we have the freedom of, you know, just noticing who comes uh, strongly into our, our awareness, you know, and then we return to the steadiness. Okay. Do you have any questions about that instruction? We have time for just like one or two questions, and then um, we're going to have the groups. Mm-hmm. So the question was, do we really have to say phrases if we... Um, call someone to mind and we soften our hearts toward them, we open our hearts toward them, um, would have would that have the same effect? Um, very possibly it would have the same effect. You know, um, in saying the phrases, first of all, you don't want to be militant, you know? It's not like an insistence. Um, and you also have to watch the rhythm of the phrases, One of my friends uh, once said he thought he'd get extra credit if he said more phrases. He used to say them really fast, like, I may be happy, maybe be something, you know, just like, it's like to get more in. It's not like that, you know, so you need to find your own way with the phrases. They don't need to be there all the time. Um, You know, certainly there are times when uh, we just feel a, a great sense of connection and we can abide in that connection. For me, and I think for many people, um, the phrases have been very useful in forming um, what I was just talking about is that avenue for concentration. You know, so um, one of the great temptations in loving kindness practice, because it is so relational, is to get completely lost in stories. You know, and the phrases have helped me. Uh, find a way of connecting to somebody without that. So, for example, I first did loving-kindness practice intensively um, when I was in Burma in 1985. I had done it before, you know, but never in so structured and intensive a way. And at one point, my teacher, Sayadu Upandita, said, okay, I want you to offer metta to a good friend. So I went back to my room, and I thought of somebody right away. And then I thought, what's the time difference between Northampton and Rangoon? I wonder where she is right now. You know, maybe she's having dinner. I wonder where she went to dinner. I bet she went out to dinner. Let's see, did she go to that Greek restaurant, or did she go to the Italian restaurant, or... Maybe she went to that Japanese restaurant. No, she couldn't have gone to the Japanese restaurant because that closed, I think. 
Isn't that odd? You know, restaurants on that corner in Northampton always close. I don't know why they always close. It's very close to Smith College, and it's got parking and everything. You know, why do they always close? You know, maybe, maybe the restaurant, the spot, just has bad feng shui. I wonder what feng shui is, actually. You know? And it was just, like, gone. This is actually a true story. I'm not making this up. Um, you know, just gone, 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 which is very different than, like, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be peaceful, you know? Um, so th- it's like the phrases can provide a container, you know, for that. Um, and so that's why even though certainly there are, absolutely there are times when they're not really, you know, working or happening or even needed, you know, uh, as a sort of bottom line, I like them, you know, as, as a structure for the practice. Okay, I'm going to let you go. Um, about half of you should be in groups uh, today and the other half tomorrow, so don't fret if your name is not on today's list. Um, and uh, everyone else can continue walking. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.